Father, as we come to you this morning, some passages we find that are particularly easy to express our gratitude for. As we think about salvation and as we think about our sin being nailed to the cross, immovable, unable to be held against us anymore. When we think about heaven and our citizenship there and the glories to come, when we understand the provision of the Holy Spirit for us to help us to live against sin, to give us an ability to resist sin and to walk in freedom and joy now, oh, Father, those truths are no difficulty for us to give thanks for. Our hearts rejoice, our hearts sing. Other passages are harder. For they go against the flesh. They go against our inclination. They go, as in this case, they go against the way we have been trained. We are a rebellious people. We are like Israel. We have been rebellious from the day we were born. We came into this world as rebels against you. And we live in a rebellious culture. We live in a country that is founded on rebellion. It is sown into the fabric of this country to not submit and to be rebellious. And so we need to hear what you have to say in this passage. Father, would you give me boldness? Would you give me clarity? Would you give me accuracy and precision with what you have said? And would you give all of us hearts that have been encouraged by what we have heard? And would you give us transformation into the likeness of Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Master? In his name we pray. Amen. To those of you who have been to my office, you might have seen this bank of file cabinets. This is a testimony to my inability to throw things away. That cabinet on the left had everything that I contained when I became pastor. And those cabinets and one or two more are what I have now. I'm, I'm adding about a drawer a year on average. Um, that contains all of my files on biblical books, biblical studies, and all of my topical files. In addition to that, I now have a digital file uh, on my computer so I'm no longer putting things in those file drawers, but I'm putting them on my computer. And one of those files on my computer is growing particularly rapidly these days. It is the file that is entitled Politics and Faith. Yeah. I checked it on Friday, and as of Friday, there were 134 documents in that file. And that doesn't count what's in that drawer right near the end of that stack of file cabinets. It actually was a little bit discouraging to go back and read through some of those article titles like this. Father gagged, not literally, but by the court. Father gagged, found guilty of family violence for calling his trans daughter a she. Canadian court rules parents can't stop 14-year-old from taking trans hormones. A pastoral perspective on illegal immigration. 
Can the government do that? That was my own post from a few years ago when the mayor of Houston subpoenaed the sermons from five pastors in Houston on the topic of homosexuality with the intention of stopping them from speaking against homosexuality and labeling it hate speech. A letter to the premiers of the provinces of the territories of Canada. It was a petition against COVID restrictions for churches in Canada, which led to this story, Master Seminary Pastor Jailed. That happened about two weeks ago. Edmonton Pastor James Coates was jailed in Edmonton because he and his church refused to follow the dictates of the government and restrict attendance in their church to 15%. And he is still in jail as far as I know. And from this week... Christ followers beware, H.R. 5, the Equality Act and Religious Freedom. And I think I have about a half dozen articles in that folder about that topic that you're, I trust, well aware of. I haven't mentioned anything about abortion, about homosexual marriage, doctor-assisted suicide, eugenics and bioethical issues, court cases against florists and bakers by homosexuals who have alleged discrimination against said florists and bakers, or a host of other topics about the intersection of government, people, and Christ. Does the Bible tell us what to think about government? Does the Bible tell us how government should function? Does the Bible give us an indication about how government is to relate to its people and how we as people are to relate to us? It does. And the passage we are in this morning is perhaps the most explicit text in all of the scriptures about what we should expect from our leaders and how we should relate to those who are in authority over us. Romans 13, 1-7 provides several key principles for government that I have summarized this way. Every government is established by God to carry out His purposes. The government is not to function on its own for its own purposes, its own desires, its own longings. The the officials are not to, to work for their own individual desires and longings, but every government is established by God alone for the singular purpose of carrying out God's dictates for mankind. As we think about this passage, Paul affirms four realities about the position and role of government and leaders. Three of them are explicit in this text. One of them is implicit. The question I want to answer today is, what is government's role and what does God expect of government and its leaders? We've covered some of this previously and because I was afraid I wouldn't have enough to say, I expanded some of this, so we'll see how that works. Um, All government is God's government. All government is God's government. And underneath that, God has established every single government. Verse 1, you're familiar with this. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Why? Because there is no authority except from God. And as if that is not explicit enough, The apostle expands that in the next clause and says, and those which exist are established by God. Those are explicit, exclusive, non-acceptive statements. There is no authority except from God. 
God is sovereign over governments and governors. He is sovereign over the entity and the individual within that entity. There is no one who is an authority and there's no government in authority except God has given it that authority. God is over government in general. So right now we find ourselves with a Democratic president, Senate, and House in the United States. And that government as an entity is underneath God's sovereign control. And beyond that, God is also sovereign over every individual, particular person that serves in any role in the government. The U.S. president, every individual senator, every individual state representative... Every governor, every state representative in the state house, every state senator, every county commissioner, every local party official, every sheriff's deputy, every constable, every policeman, every Supreme Court justice, every federal judge, every county judge, every justice of the peace, every county tax assessor, just to name a few, are underneath and in position where they are because of God's sovereign dictate. End of sentence. He appoints them all. That's the lesson of the story of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. And I would encourage you, go back and read that story. It is, it is compelling as we uh, go back and see God's hand over that Ungodly, wicked, prideful king. Um, consider also the story of Esther. Esther chapter 4. You're familiar with this. God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, but he would have us to understand that God is behind everything that goes on in that story. Mordecai sends a message to his niece Esther. And the message he sends is given to us in Esther 4.13, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. That's a hint that God is not held captive by any king and he can deliver. He's an authority. Where am I? They will arise for Jews from another place, this deliverance, and you and your father's house will perish. And listen, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. The writer of the book would have us to understand that that is exactly what's gone on. That God has appointed and placed Esther in a most unique position in the government for exactly that time to accomplish God's purposes for His people. There's no authority except from God. And every authority is established by God. Every government, every official of every government has always been in that place only because of God's direction. Period. And they continue to have their position in time and place only because of God's sustaining hand. 
So they attain their position not by their own abilities, their own wiles, their own manipulations, their own machinations, but they attain their position because God said, that's my man for today. And as long as they are there, we can be confident that God says, that's my man or woman in that place. They're established by God. So whatever my political ideology and my personal preference, I can put my head on my pillow at night and rest knowing that those who are over me are not there accidentally. They've been appointed by God for our good. And I use that word good intentionally. We'll flesh that out in a moment. All government is God's government. Here's something that I added this week that I thought would be particularly helpful. God's sovereign, God is sovereign over every decision and every act of every government. So he not only puts people in place, he puts people in place and everything they do is under his sovereign authority. Could give you many examples of what the scriptures say just just listen as i read a few of them proverbs is filled with these start in 16:33 proverbs 16:33 the lot is cast into the lap so we cast lots right so in the in the old testament particularly even, even in religious settings they would cast lots to determine what to do and he says whenever you throw the dice or whatever you roll that over the lot is cast into the lap but it's Every decision is from the Lord. The Lord is the one who makes the decision. 1921, many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. So a man makes a decision, a man makes a plan, but God is the one that is behind that plan. 21.1, the king's heart is like the channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it. Wherever he wishes. That sovereign king who thinks he has so much authority, that president, that senator, that medical advisor to the, to the king or president that we all love right now. Every dictate from his hand is from the Lord. Because the Lord can take his heart and twist it to accomplish exactly what he wants. Psalm 33, verse 10. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. God determines. A man makes a decision and God says, no, that's not what I have. We're changing that one. Ezra chapter 6. Verse 22. They observed the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had caused them to rejoice 
listen to this. The Lord had caused them to rejoice and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. The Assyrian king from the Assyrian nation that took the nation of Israel captive, God says, it's time for a change. And he turned his heart. One of the best examples of this is the story of Absalom. Remember Absalom? He's the one that tried to usurp his father's throne, King David. And so he's attempting to take over God, uh, David's kingdom. And he's got two advisors around him. One advisor is Ahithophel, and another advisor is Hushai. Hushai was um, favorable to King David, was faithful to King David. And yet he was coming from David's regime, if you will. And um, Absalom would have been suspect of anything he advised. Ahithophel was one of Absalom's men. And Ahithophel actually advised Absalom wisely. So Absalom had chased David out of the city. He's got David on the run. And, and Ahithophel says, look, Absalom, David's on the run. David's, David's tired. David's weary. Now is the time to press your advantage and pursue him and vanquish him. And that was good advice. Hushai said to himself, don't want that counsel to go well. So he counsels differently and he says, no, 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 Absalom, you know how, you know how uh, David is like a bear. And when you get a bear trapped, you don't want that fight. So yeah, he's cornered and he's on the run, but you really don't want to pick the fight right now. You need to back off and wait. And Absalom said, sounds to me like Hushai is right. What was going on? Second Samuel seventeen fourteen. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushite, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to thwart the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. <laughs> Made him blind and deaf so he couldn't see and couldn't hear the truth. Sometimes... Governmental officials make ungodly decisions and do ungodly deeds, and it seems increasingly so. Brothers and sisters, God is sovereign over every one of those decisions. Sometimes to bring judgment on a nation. Remember the story of Habakkuk? Habakkuk complains to God about Judah and the unrighteousness that is there. And God says, I'll take care of it. I've got the Babylonians coming. It's not always for what seems to be our good. But God is always sovereign over us in everything. Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch theologian, said, There is no molecule in the universe over which God cannot say, Mine. There are no renegade molecules subverting God's will. That's a good reminder in COVID, isn't it? 
There are no renegade molecules subverting God's will, and there are no renegade governments, and there are no renegade government officials overthrowing God's control. God is doing exactly what he wants to do in every place, in every person, in every decision, and in every government. It's all under his authoritative control. Oh, brothers and sisters, we've got to rest in that, don't we? That's our peace. I don't have to fret because of evildoers. Before the service, they were testing the mic. And I read Psalm 27 purposefully so that we're reminded, don't fret There's no evildoer doing anything outside of the will of God. It's all under his hand. Every government is God's servant. We talked about this last time. Verse 4, verse 6. The government is a minister for God. It is a minister for God. Verse 4, a second time. An avenger who brings wrath. Verse 6. Rulers are servants of God. Every government, every official is granted their position for the purpose of service. This is, this is in a sense directed towards every government official. So if you have a position in the government, if the government signs off on your paycheck, this is your role. You are in that role, whatever your governmental position, in order to serve the people. And, and I think to, to a certain degree, some government positions even understand that. How, how many police cars, sheriffs, deputies cars have you seen emblazoned on the side with the motto, to serve and to protect? Yeah, every time you see that, you ought to say, amen, Romans 13, they get it. Don't, don't write Romans 13 under that. You'll probably get in trouble. But you can think that. It's exactly it. They're there to serve. Former Michigan Governor Rick Snyder was right when he said a few years ago, listen to what he says, the role of government is customer service. The role of government is to serve our citizens as customers, to make a difference in their lives in a positive way. The point is to ask, what are we going to do for our citizens, our customers, to make a difference in their lives? And once you agree on something that's needed, what resources are needed to achieve that outcome? We need to get back to that, he says. That's one of the fundamental principles. He was largely right. Every ruler has a responsibility to rule in a way that is service. Really, it's not any different than a husband and a wife. A husband who's carrying out his responsibilities in the home well is leading. He's providing direction. He's making decisions but he's doing so out of grace and gentleness and out of a desire to serve and care for his wife. in, In his mind, he's not first, she is. Because he wants to care for her first, to love her first. And our our rest is, while Paul is not explicit here, We understand that when he says this is the responsibility of government to serve, we can rest in the fact that government and every government official will be held accountable to God for that. So if they serve well, 
there's reward for them. If they do not serve, they will incur the wrath of God. And we can, we can rest in that. We can make, find comfort in that. Number two, what governments are to do. Um, governments are to restrain evil. Verse 3, they're not a cause for fear of good behavior, but for evil. In other words, if you do something that's evil, you ought to fear them. You ought to be afraid. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what's good. In general, in the United States of America at least, not always the case in every place, but at least right now in the United States, if you abide the laws of the land, you won't get arrested. If you follow the speed limit, if you pay your taxes, you won't get arrested. Generally, as far as I know. Do what's right. There's no fear. The sense also is the flip side. Government is designed by God for the very purpose of punishing evil. That's their role. Um, And our comfort is that even when it's an ungodly nation, an ungodly country, ungodly rulers, um, there is still some provision of protection against what is evil and provision for that which is good. In our home group this week, we were in the book of Obadiah. Um, Smallest book in the Old Testament, only single chapter book in the Old Testament. Listen to what the prophet Obadiah says. Verse 5. If thieves come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. Would they, would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape gatherers come to you, would, would they not leave some gleanings? In other words, somebody breaks into your house. They're not like cat in a hat that take every single thing out of the house or the Grinch. That was the Grinch, wasn't it? They leave something. They don't strip your walls bare. Go into the attic and rip everything out of the attic. Take out the insulation, undo the wiring and burn the house to the ground. They take what they want and they leave. And that's true of governments too, isn't it? Even abusive governments. Where's our our sense of peace? Listen to what he says. Oh, how Esau, that is Edom, the nation of Edom, will be ransacked and his hidden treasures searched out. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau. In other words, evil men in this world will will come in and take things from you, but when God comes, he will strip them bare. Oh, brothers and sisters, are governments evil at times? Yes. You rest. The Lord will take care of it. The Lord will not be found unjust against any unjust government or any unjust ruler. He will make all wrong right. I got so excited I forgot. 
Government restrains evil, first of all. Government also promotes good. You want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. You'll have praise. In other words, government exists to praise, affirm, uplift, uphold, admire, approve, recognize things that are good and right. They're to uphold righteousness, moral goodness, godliness. So governments should be opposed to that which is evil and they should support that which is good. Peter will say the same thing, 1 Peter chapter 2. What kinds of things are we talking about? We're talking about things like this. The government should promote the protection of marriage between a man and a woman and protect families and the family entity. Government should promote the appropriate distinctions between male and female. That's set up in Genesis chapter 1. Government should promote the equality of care for all people. We're all made in identical ways into the image and likeness of God. There is no male nor female that is superior. There's no ethnicity that is superior. We are all equal and government should uphold that equality. Government should protect the weak and the defenseless. We saw that last time in Psalm 82. That's exactly what Solomon commits himself to do in Psalm 72. In fact, in two different places in that psalm that we read earlier. Government and judges should protect the interests of those who have been sinned against. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm talking about the church not taking other church members to court. And he says, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more in matters of this life? In other words, we we have a, a heavenly rule that's coming. And if we're fit for that, we certainly can evaluate things on earth. Listen to verse 4. So, if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? In other words, there, there is a place for judgments on this earth for judges to judge with equality and with, with um, uniform righteousness. And that place is not in the church. So you don't go down to City Hall and ask something to be arbitrated within the body of Christ when there's conflict. That's what the church is for. But there is a place for law and courts and they are to judge with righteousness. Unfortunately, they don't always do that, do they? I was in seminary, not quite in the dark ages, but it's been a few years now. Homosexuality existed back then. We talked about it. I think it was in passing one day in a missions class. That's all I remember. We had no category for what's going on in our country right now. And the government that is supposed to be promoting good, turning goodness on its head and exalting evil. Brothers and sisters, that doesn't change our response to the government, but it does make it hard, doesn't it? In more encouraging news, in Texas, 
at least at the moment, the governor has made it easy for us as churches to gather. Um, this gathering doesn't exist in Edmonton, Canada. This gathering doesn't exist in California or Washington, D.C. or New York or a host of other places. We've got it easy. But because of the depravity of man, we should not always assume that it will be easy. We need to be prepared for days when it's going to be harder. Government promotes good. Government is God's temporal avenger of evil. This fact uh, that government is designed by God to be opposed to evil, to provide fear when um, evil exists, to carry out vengeance against evil, goes all the way back to Genesis. That's why we read the passage we did. Maybe you were wondering earlier, why is he reading Noah when we're going to be talking about government? Because government's right to enact capital punishment against crime is rooted not in the Mosaic law, but in the Noahic covenant in Genesis chapter 9. Now, while he doesn't use the word government, it is implicit in Genesis 9. Whoever sheds a man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. If you take life, then those who are in authority over you have the right to take your life, not the right, the responsibility to take your life in response. You have given up the right to life when you have taken the life of another. Now, that's reiterated in the Mosaic Law, but it goes as far back as Genesis chapter 9. Punishment against sin and evil by governing authorities, goes as far back as Genesis 9. Punishment should include capital punishment for appropriate crimes. Punishment should include appropriate action against criminal offenses. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 6. Um, we don't have time, but just jot down Deuteronomy 16, 19, and 20 where we understand that a man who is a judge does not have a right to enact the law as he sees fit, but he merely applies the principles of righteousness that he gains from an outside source. In other words, God and God's morality. We should also understand that punishment should reflect the moral character of God. It is no accident that this instruction about government follows Romans 12, where it says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. So God will carry out vengeance and punishment in perfection at the end of time, and we can rest in that and be content in that. And until that time, government is established to serve as an intermediary Act of justice against every unrighteousness. God's appointed men, servants, to carry out righteousness against sin. 
and then the government taxes for the benefit of the people. We're going to talk more about that next week. What are government leaders to be? Government leaders should not be evil. When Paul says the rulers are not to be feared, he is clearly implying that they will be fair, that they will be just, and they will be good. The character of the ruler is to be against evil. And he can only genuinely be against evil if he is good. If the rulers of the nations are given to make laws against evil and support and enforce those laws, then it follows that the laws that they make to reinforce good and to punish evil apply to them as well. They're not above the law, but they are also in submission to that law and must conform to it. Wayne Grudem is absolutely right when he says, in a nation with good government, the law rules over the rulers, not the rulers over the law. And we see that consistently in the Old Testament. So you find Old Testament kings repeatedly being rebuked by the prophets for being evil. Just just one example. 1 Kings chapter 18. We have King Ahab. And Ahab sees Elijah coming to visit him. 1 Kings 18:17 and Ahab said to Elijah, "Is this you, you troubler of Israel?" And he, Elijah said, "I've not troubled Israel." But you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you will have followed the Baals. He condemns the king because the king doesn't follow the command of God. He's not good. Kings are not above the law. Even John the Baptist took Herod to task for his immorality. Not even good kings are above the law. So Nathan reproves David for David's unrighteousness against Uriah and Bathsheba. They should be not evil. They should not be evil. They should be good. Leaders should be good. If governments and leaders are called to promote things that are morally good, then it is appropriate to ask the question, is the character of his or her life good? Do they not only affirm the truth and what is moral, but do they actually do the things that are good? What is the character? What is the nature of their life? Listen to what Samuel says. 1 Samuel chapter 12. He's nearing the end of his life. Listen to what he says to Israel about his own character. 1 Samuel 12, starting in verse 2. Now, here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. And I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am. Bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? 
Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. Now, that's a religious leader in Israel. But that's what every leader should be like. That's the character test of every man. The writer of the Proverbs have a lot of things to say about this. Let me just summarize some of them. Proverbs 8.15 Kings should reign by wisdom and make laws that are just. 16.10 Kings should not speak unjustly. 16.12 Kings should be righteous and detest wrongdoing. 20.26 Kings are opposed to filter are supposed to filter out the evil of the kingdom. 21.1, a king is God's instrument. 29.4, a king's justice brings stability to a country. Brothers and sisters, when we look, when we get into that voting booth, one of the questions we have to ask is not just, do they follow my ideology? The question we must ask is, are they good? It's not secondary. It's primary. If they are not good, then they cannot rule with goodness and justice because out of the overflow of a man's heart, man speaks. What is inside of them is what will come out of them as they rule. And to ask the question, are they good, is not secondary. It is fundamental to what they should be and how they should rule. So the question is, can an impolite, self-loving, people-pleasing person make a godly, loving ruler? The answer is self-evident. No. He cannot, she cannot. It takes good people to rule well and with goodness. And I'm not saying here that every ruler needs to be a Christian. But I am saying that every person has a conscience And they know right and wrong. That's Romans 2, like 12 years ago. And they need to rule according to the conscience of goodness that God has placed in them. And if they don't, then they are disqualified. Leaders should be servants. How often do you hear the word politician and servant in the same sentence? Not often. They don't go together very often in our culture, but they do in God's economy. The leader leads not for the privilege of lording his position over others. He leads so that he can serve and care for others. And we've seen this already. Three times Paul says, you're a minister, you're a minister, you're a servant. And the point is to say, you aren't God. You only have authority because it is derived It is granted, it is given. So we do well to ask the question, does this individual love to serve others or is he wanting or is she wanting service from others? Number four, what government cannot do This is not in the text explicitly, but it is certainly implied. 
Don't say amen too fast. Government cannot rule perfectly. It's true. The best government will fail. The wisest government officials are still depraved. Romans 3 applies to government officials as well as you and me. And even if they are believers, they're still imperfect. They're going to make imperfect decisions. They're subject to the flesh even as you and I are. So, because every government is imperfect, we must be wary of finding our confidence and peace in a government. Because they will inevitably fail on this side of the kingdom of Christ. They must fail. The world will only be absolutely right when the righteous king will reign on his Davidic throne. So don't be confident in government. Don't find your joy in government. Don't find your rest in government. Find your rest and your peace and your confidence in the one who is over the government. What government also cannot do is government cannot change men's hearts. The government will not fix our problems because it is incapable of changing hearts. And it's not designed to change hearts. It is designed to provide morality for a culture so that we can exist and thrive and continue. But the government is not given. Let me back that up. Government on this earth, in this economy, is not given to change men's hearts. Ultimately, government is. But there's only one king that can do that. And that's Jesus. So Jesus will come. And he will fix problems. Because he can change our hearts. Don't forget Romans 4. And how he justifies sinners. And don't forget Romans 6 to 8. And how he sanctifies those who he justifies. And don't forget Romans 9 to 11. And that God is sovereign. Over bringing his people into his kingdom. And over all things. No government can't change men's hearts. But Christ can. And he does it all the time. And government cannot subvert God's will. Every government is from God. Verse 1. No authority. Those that exist are from God. We may not approve biblically of what a government does, but we never need to despair. God is still on his throne. Just as he was when Potiphar had Joseph imprisoned and when Israel, or when Assyria took Israel captive, and Babylon took Judah captive, and Herod beheaded John the Baptist, and Paul was martyred, and Jesus was crucified. God was still authoritative then, and he is authoritative today. No one has taken his authority from him. And we can rest in that. I only had three. Here's a freebie that I thought of this morning. 
Every government is a picture of God's rule. And every unjust government makes us long for King Jesus. When we see unjust government, our fingers get loosed from its grip on this world. And we long for when Jesus will make things right. And brothers and sisters, when we see injustice in the government, even our government, that brings peace to us. Because Jesus will restore and make it right. This week we've talked about the government and you. Next week we're going to talk about you and the government. And how do you respond? I don't want to unpack everything there. But one thing we do know from Scripture is that we're commanded to pray for government. So would you bow with me as we close and let us pray for our government this morning. Our Father, we thank you for government. And we thank you for the governing authorities that you have given us. Even in Texas, where life is relatively easy in 2021, we still find reason to complain and be bitter and angry, upset, anxious about other governing authorities that are over us, perhaps judges, perhaps particular Supreme Court decisions, perhaps those in federal government over us. But Father, we thank you that you have appointed every one of these for this time and for this season. And we ask, our Father, that you might cause those who are in authority over us to submit their consciences to the Spirit of God and to promote what is good and right and punish what is evil and harmful and that they might serve us. Father, we know that you can turn the heart of any governing authority as easy as it is for you to turn a channel of water. And Father, we would even beg and plead that you would save those who are in authority over us from their sin and your coming wrath by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that having been saved by Christ, they would rule like Christ and become even more your servants in their places that you have granted to them. We thank you, Father, as well, that while government can't change people's hearts, you have given government to us to act as a restraint on evil and to provide a civil environment in which to live and to serve you. We are largely blessed in this country, in this state, in this county. We recognize that blessing and we thank you. And we thank you that while we don't agree with some of the decisions of government, we rest in the reality that no government makes any decision outside your will and that you control every action. We thank you that you are not ever subverted by any renegade ruler or government and that one day soon, may it be today, King Jesus will rule this earth with all righteousness and authority. 
Until that day, our Father, would you keep our hearts and actions submissive to every official while we wait for Christ's rule. We pray this in the name of Christ, for his glory, for our good. Amen.